At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. everybody welcome back to another episode of the bow hunter chronicles podcast brought to you by huntworth huntworth bringing you quality hunting packs and clothes at a price you deserve check them out at huntworthgear.com and huntworth they're giving away for our quarterly giveaway uh their holton setup h-o-u-l-t-o-n setup and i hunted with that all last year uh, it's a later season like windproof uh, water resistant sherpa line just incredible gear um, i got that set up before uh, we were sponsored by huntworth and it's probably some of my favorite gear um, that i'm using and i'm very very excited that they chose to give that away but they also have this new heat boost technology with graphene and uh it's thinner than that, uh, like what we're used to on the heavyweight side of, of clothing. And that graphene actually reflects your body heat back onto you. Uh, anybody who was down at the Mobile Hunters Expo that tried it on, I mean, they can attest to, like, you put it on and it's like it's warm. And it's all of a sudden heating up. It's it's a great late season setup. They just launched that um, at the end of August. Uh, so go to the website, huntworthgear.com, and check that out. Uh, incredible stuff. Um, this week's podcast, Alex Chop from Latitude uh, went out and just shot an incredible buck and a pretty crazy story, and I think we can learn a lot um, from uh, their trials, tribulations, but the way that they approach the hunt and kind of their um, expectations there. So I think you guys are going to really love this one. Um, basically, no gear talk. This is all hunting, um, kind of like their setup and, um, you know, how they approach the hunt and, like, expectations for out-of-state hunt, all that stuff. So um, incredible uh, story and uh, super happy uh, for Alex and the boys at, uh, at Latitude Outdoors. And they're giving away one of their classic saddle kits for us for our Patreon giveaway as well. And uh, they're throwing in some swag for our Patreon hunt as well. So uh, basically that's, you know, if you're not in on that right now, um, it's kind of too late. We've got a ton of guys coming from all over. Um, but Latitude's donated a bunch of stuff. I'm getting some stuff from Huntworth. Um, Trophy Line has stepped up big. They're, they're sending us uh, one of their covert light kits. Uh, as well as the EDP platform and one of their plateau packs. So um, all that stuff's coming in for kind of like swag for that Patreon hunt. And, and guys, I've been saying it for as long as we've been doing Patreon, like 
Patreon is crowdfunding for creators, and it helps us to be able to go on these hunts, do the show, cover all the expenses, everything. But, you know, we do as much as we can to give as much back as possible. I try and, you know, pass everything along. Like, uh, you know, I have a couple sets of rings of steps. I sent that out to one of the patrons who was asking me about them. I said, hey, I, you know, I've got extra. Just here you go. I've got saddles all over the country because uh, I can only hunt out of one. And these are just a few of the things, you know, uh, free access to the vitals live coming up uh next week we have a, another vitals live question and answer with andy may um, and that's free for patreons um all of that the whole archive uh everything we send stickers swag packs anything that i can do to say thank you uh but this uh patreon hunt is really um you know got guys coming from all over i'm not a guide um trying trying to put this together for for these guys to make a one hell of a deer camp. And I got to give a giant shout out to Joseph Davis. Um, he runs a generations of the hunt podcast, but he drove all the way over and helped me, uh, prep the property and uh, spend a day just, you know, doing work. And I can't thank him enough. And that just kind of is a testament to the, you know, the caliber of relationships and things that we're, we're building, um, or trying to build within Patreon. Um, and super looking forward to this hunt. And so this, like I said, this, quarter we're giving away a latitude saddle kit huntworth has given away the that holton setup we've got um spartan forge so spartan forge is predictive deer movement software which is now starting to become more important as we're um, getting into the season but they have some of the best maps i got a podcast with bill coming up here um, next week as well and uh, so if you guys got any questions about spartan forge you got any of that, but their mapping is just incredible. They're tracking, um, all of that, but it's also, like I said, that deer prediction so that you can spend, you know, the most efficient amount of time in the woods, in the right spots, right areas. It doesn't tell you hunt this tree, but it says bedding area, transition area, full range. You know, if these deer are just out and about doing their patterns, or if they stick to a certain area based on wind weather and historical data um, you can check them out at spartanforge.ai and you can use code bowhunter uh, to save 25 percent there um, lucky buck they give away either a bucket of their mineral or they've got seed i've got deer every single night every single morning on the seed that we planted up in the up i got kind of like a plot watcher camera up there and the deer are in there every single day and uh, it's just really amazing to watch um good stuff from them lucky buck um and so and our friends at zingers too you know those guys they just they just say hey you want to give some away go ahead and uh i've been shooting them really like them um i'm shooting the ones that nobody can get the 3.0s they aren't out yet but the 2.0s are great i've got those on some arrows too and uh, they shoot great out to 100 yards plus. I mean, shot them at the Total Archery Challenge. Um, great for guys who don't like fletching arrows and still want good arrow flight. So we got those from, from the Zinger guys. And, you know, um, I'm probably going to get a giveaway here pretty soon from our friends at uh, Adjustable Red Dot. I don't have them on there yet. But those Adjustable Red Dot sites, I don't talk about them enough. Uh, Frank just got back from Colorado threw his back on his bow because he can't use uh, electronics out there. And, you know, within you know 20 minutes, he's basically all set up again, off the bow, back on the bow. Uh, my dad's got one. I went over there. He was having trouble getting it set up. 
and you know not my bow and it took me less than 20 20 minutes to get it on target and get it shooting where it needs to and now he's able to do that i mean site acquisition target setup all of that you know low light you know no peep shooting target acquisition you know adjustable red dot those guys do a great job tim uh right here from from michigan so um got to give a shout out to them too and we'll we'll be uh, working with them to give one of those away here uh, before the year's over for sure. But um, all that you can check out at patreon.com forward slash Bowhunter Chronicles podcast or click the link on the website on our Instagram, um, any of that stuff, you know, 33 cents a day, 60 cents a day, something like that. If we're providing you value, you know, um, and you want to help us out, that's a great way to do it. And like I said, we try and give back as much as we possibly can. But uh, if that's not for you, no big deal. Um, you know, we appreciate everybody that listens. Tell somebody else about the podcast. You know, thank you, everyone that listens. Enjoy the episode. All right, everybody, Adam back with another episode of the Bow Hunter Chronicles podcast. And today we're talking with Alex Jopp. And usually when we talk with Alex, you know, there's a lot of things he can't talk about. And it's like, oh, these products and gear and and all this stuff. But I think today we're going to dive into a little bit of uh, Alex the Hunter um, from from that side of it. You know, he's they went out to Nebraska and uh, killed a giant buck. And uh, he was just telling me how uh, it was probably one of the more difficult hunts he's ever been on in his life. Um, so we're going to kind of get into that from like an early season and out-of-state type uh, perspective. So. Um, how you doing, Alex? How's things going for you? Doing well, thanks. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk some hunting instead of the gear like we always do, because um, that's really what I enjoy. So uh, I appreciate you having me. Yeah. So for for guys that don't know from like a, a hunting perspective, like, you know, when I talk to, you know, your crew and the guys in Latitude, they're like, you know, I... <laughs> I talk with you a lot. You know, I talk with Alex about business and the podcast and doing the vitals live and, and latitude and all that stuff. And he's like a hundred miles an hour. And I don't want to say like perfection based, but I think the way that you try you and your crew specifically try to do things on like a really like super high level. I, I mean, would you say that's a fair assessment? I mean, we, we definitely always try to push ourselves. I think it's just part of our personality. Um, but from a competitive standpoint on the business side of things, I mean, you gotta, you gotta push the limits. Otherwise you're going to kind of fade away. That's the only way you can stay relevant. And we try to do that in every aspect of the business. And obviously hunting is a big part of that. So from your uh, what is your hunting history? Because the guys will say, you know, Alex is freaking ridiculously passionate about this and that has been doing all of the, you know, going way back and hunting the hard spots and doing that for, for a long time. So, you know, for guys who maybe just see you as the, the guy on the latitude commercials, um, what's, what's your hunting background and, and how did that passion kind of spark inside of you? Yeah, I mean, I honestly, I I owe my my hunting life to my dad. I mean, he introduced me to the whole 
public land grind in a very aggressive way. And that was hunting public land up in the UP for whatever reason, he refused to hunt anywhere else, but the UP, which in, for anybody who knows about the upper peninsula in Michigan, it's a very, it's a difficult place to hunt. And, um, but I'm very thankful for my dad because he would take me up there when I was, you know, seven, eight years old, uh, just for scouting. And so I would just follow him around, hang out in the woods and obviously loved it. But he, um, he just, he introduced me to the woods and, uh, that's how I, I fell in love with it. And, um, so, you know, as I got older, I started to kind of become, you know, myself, you know, become a hunter myself. And, uh, my dad obviously was busy with work and, and so I was more independent as a young hunter and, uh, we didn't have any private land or anything. So I didn't, I didn't know anything else. You know, I, you know, I was always just, where can I hunt? Where, where is it legal to hunt? And let's go check it out. And I would just do exactly what my dad showed me to do when I was young in the UP. Um, so that really got me started. Uh, and then as I got older, I made a ton of mistakes. I still make mistakes today. And I just, I just learned that way. And, um, and that kind of over time spiraled into what latitude is today and how the gear kind of exists and all that. So when you say you just did what your dad showed you how to do, like what are some of the key points that he showed you to do? Cause like my history in the UP is big, gnarly cedar swamp and a lot of the culture of hunting the UP, you know, maybe not from the, the trolls or the downstate guys. Right. But it's, it's bait piles and it's, you know, uh, that that's the culture of, of the upper peninsula hunting, you know, to the point where, yeah, they do have uh, hard winters and all of that, but the UP still gets to bait. I mean, it's, I think it's, I I think the reason that they still get to do that is because it's so ingrained in like their identity as hunters. So like when you were up there and in that sort of terrain, like what, what did your dad teach you or what are the things that you still do today that you took away as, as big, you know, ticket things yeah i mean so my dad was hunting that way too like you know when i was with him i was carrying big ass bags of sugar beets out into the cedar swamp and and so my dad wasn't some technical hunter right he was an old school guy him and his his he had his core group of hunting buddies and what he taught me that i that i still uh you know practice to this day is just that grind mentality i mean those guys they i mean they would go to camp every single year they would go up there for a week in september they would scout put their bait down hang stands they would go up there for a week in november that same year and hunt and they rarely shot a deer they they rarely shot a deer and if they did they was at a big buck competition and the big buck if there was one shot in camp would probably be, you know, a little 50 inch six point. Right. But they still went up every year to scout and work their tails off and they still went up there to hunt and they loved every minute of it. And I mean, I would wait up for my dad to come home every time he went on that trip to see if he shot something. And I don't know if he ever brought back a deer, (laughs) but, but I saw how much he loved it. And, and honestly, like this last trip, I, I was thinking about that. Like, 
it was so hard and we were getting hit in the mouth so hard over and over again. And we just had to keep going. And and I, I think that's just a really important thing that my dad introduced me to. He got me used to that. Like, you're not going to shoot a deer every year. And if you do shoot a deer, it might not be a monster buck, but you got to enjoy the process. I, I think that's the biggest thing I took away from him. And so how did you take that and kind of evolve into like the hunter that I know where you're like, Oh my God, I have to shoot these big bucks. I have to like, how, where did your success start to come? And how did that, like, uh, how did that build? Because, you know, you could have very easily said, okay, well, that's what hunting is. And I think, you know, a lot of, you know, maybe my generation or maybe your generation too, because you're a bit younger than I am, you know, they want, instant gratification, right? So you're like, okay, well, I'm going to go hunting with my dad. And now we've got the internet and there's no service. And there's all these other things where that instant gratification doesn't come. You could have said, well, that's what hunting is throwing out sugar beets and sitting and waiting. And then, you know, sports come into play. Girls come into play. I'm not shooting anything. So hunting goes by the wayside. So how did you like get uh, get away from that and start to have success, I guess. I think that I think most passionate uh, hunters in general go through an uh, evolution, right? Like you start out and it's, and it's exciting and you're exploring and you're, you're just starting to even see deer and, and have deer get close to you as a bow hunter and understand their body language and, um, understand how to be in their presence without being detected. I mean, just learning that is a, a huge step in a bow hunter's journey, right? And then you get to a point where you you, you shoot your first buck and it's usually a, a, a smaller buck, at least it was for me. And um, I shot my first buck when I was um, probably 13 or 14 and it was on the opening day gun season. And um, man, it was awesome. I, I loved it. Right. And so for the next few years, I was riding that high. I mean, and you're out there and then all of a sudden you want to shoot your first bow buck. And so you're working your tail off for that. And that's what's driving you. You shoot your first bow buck and then you start to get good at getting those, you know, younger, smaller deer on the ground, which, you know, I've shot a couple of big deer in the past few years, but I'm just getting my stuff together. I am no expert hunter at all i've shot a ton of small smaller bucks and i think that's important for every bow hunter to go through that and so yes like what's made me into the guy who's searching for a big buck that is me today it's just i've evolved into that it's that's the stage i'm at i want to get to that next level but with that being said i went through all the other phases of being a bow hunter. It's not like I just immediately said, I need to kill big deer. I mean, that's, that's not what it is for me. And it never has been. I just like to push myself and and try and get better. So. And so what was the first like real big success or your first big buck that you shot and kind of how did that come into play? Like how did that play out? Yeah, that was uh, still to this day. That's my, favorite hunt I've ever done. And I, it was on my wife's birthday. She let me go hunting in the morning. It was October 27th. And, uh, I always joke with her cause I'm like, 
your birthday is like in the best my favorite time to be in the woods is like in that Halloween period. So I joke with her. So she let me go hunting that one day. I don't even remember what year that was. It was a while back. And, um, I was by myself and, uh, it was a spot that I would, I had a canoe and I took it back and, um, got into the spot and it was like, it was nine fifteen in the morning and it just started to drizzle. And I was on this little Oak Island in the middle of this, swampy cattail area and this really nice buck actually it's the one that's hanging right there on your right and um he was just moving north into a doe bedding area just to check it out and um i was honestly shocked when i saw him because that was the first really nice big buck that i've seen in person and um i made a decent shot on him but uh he you know he wasn't dead in sight. So I, I got out, took all my stuff out and I went back in and again, I'm alone and I start tracking at this point it's, it's raining. So I'm kind of panicking and, uh, I got on the deer and I was actually pushing him and, um, and I was close to him though. Cause he was, I hit him pretty hard. It ended up being a liver shot. Right. And I was just pushing him around this thick stuff. And, um, I was actually, there was so little blood. I was on my hands and knees crawling through this like thick overhanging stuff, just looking for drops of blood. And I actually lost blood and was about to call a day. It was raining. I had to get to the birthday dinner. At this point, I shot the deer at nine fifteen. At this point, it's, you know, two in the afternoon. And, um, I was about to give up and hook back around to, to head out. And at the core of my eye, I just saw him laying there. It was just, I just got lucky and found him. Um, but that was the first big buck I shot. And that was, I mean, I was totally hooked at that point. I mean, there was no going back after, after that experience, especially I almost killed myself trying to get that thing out of the woods because I was alone. I had a little snow blue snow snow sled with me <laughs> that just kept breaking and i was dragging it and luckily i was younger at the time so i got out of there without any injuries and made it to dinner right on time and all my hunting stuff i was i was soaking wet at this it was a nicer restaurant that my wife's birthday dinner was at <laughs> i showed up with her parents and this was before we were married so um anyway that was a good memory and i was hooked after that i mean that was a blast so a couple of things that come from that, like, like one, I was just thinking like, you know, when you run out of blood, I, I it's happened to me multiple times, you know, where a lot of times you, you run out of blood and you're so focused on the micro that you forget about the macro. So you're down on the ground, you're looking for blood, you run out of blood, you know, you're going in circles and circles and circles and the deer's laying right there and there's no more blood because it's dead right there. You know, it didn't go any further. And, but when you're in the thick stuff and stuff like that, you don't necessarily, and, and that's happened to me, you know, half a dozen times, I would say, you know, yeah. It, but you're so into, into looking at it, but do you think that, it, oh, go ahead. Uh, I was going to say just a really interesting point there. This was also the first time, and this saved me that I was paying attention to actual deer tracks when you're tracking a deer it's so easy to just look at look for blood right like where's the blood but a lot of times you actually have tracks so the only thing that kept me on that blood was i i kept finding his tracks and so that was a big learning moment for me and i've used that since then so 
So other than the size of the deer, I mean, how much of that do you think is like, um, cause I know, I know it's a big por- portion of like the way that I view things, but like validation, like you're like, I can kill a big buck. I was in, you know, I did everything right. And you're out there by yourself. And it's like, you know, I, I think for me, like, as you're coming up, like you were talking about through that evolution, like when you finally, you know, level up on that next one or whatever. And it's, it's because of your hard work or, or whatever. Um, putting that together for myself is like, that's the validation almost more than the trophy itself, you know? Oh yeah. I mean, that's exactly how it goes, right? Like eventually you get to a point where you're really confident being able to shoot a, a, a smaller, a smaller, a younger buck. Right. And then, at some point you keep working and you're persistent enough that you, you force, you could even say you're forcing luck on yourself. And eventually you hit that next, you know, that higher level deer, that smarter deer, just because you're subconsciously doing things different as you're learning. And um, so that was that moment for me where you're exactly right. Like at some point you go, it all comes together and you realize like, this is possible. And then, and then you start, you're going to start chasing more of that next level. Mm -hmm. And I think that's just how it happens very naturally. So then like for you, when did you start going out of state hunting and what was the, when you go out of state, like I kind of already know at least like where you're at right now, but like, what's the goal? I think a lot of people go out of state and they have this expectation of like, I'm going here. I mean, unless you're going to, um, like, like say Iowa where it's a five year tag or, or something like that, where you maybe want to be a little bit more selective and you're going to put in a little bit more work. But if you're going to do just a, a short couple day, you know, four or five day hunt out of state, like, a lot of people set this like crazy expectation and then they're like, well, I should have shot this buck or they come home empty handed. And I, I, I'm honestly, I tell Alex this all the time because, <laughs> because when we were in Wisconsin and like seeing the vi- the videos of these deer that they're not shooting or like just the deer that were like around them, I'm like, you guys just need to shoot these deer and be happy with it. Instead of be looking, you know, it'd be different if you did a whole bunch of, scouting, ran a whole bunch of cameras, knew these pattern deer and you were waiting. But most of the time I'd say that that's not the case. So like when you started going out of state, like what, what, what were your expectations and how has that changed? The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. 
Um, well, so the first time I went out of state was when I was uh, in uh, college in Ann Arbor, and uh, the hunting season ended here, and I just I just wasn't done. So I, um, I just randomly looked at Ohio and found out that they have a season that goes to February, and and I'm like, well, that could be fun. I'm gonna go explore down there. I didn't have any expectations though. I mean it. I mean I was hunting in January and February. I ended up, um, I ended up having a great time. It was a very rough and <laughs> gritty, uh, experience, right? I mean, I was sleeping in my little Pontiac Grand Prix in the Walmart parking lot. I was even parked one day. I had, cause I, I went to, um, U of M obviously, and I'm down there in Buckeye country and I had a little tiny Michigan sticker on my car. And in the middle of the night, one time I'm sleeping and all of a sudden I just hear this like, whack all on the side of my car i'm like what the hell is that and i got out of my car and the whole side of it was just covered in like i don't know if it was like cow shit or mud or something <laughs> and so like it, it was a it was a fun experience and i was alone the whole time so like that was a that in itself was a big learning time in my in my hunting career if you want to call it that but um just because that's when i started to learn how to you know, be resourceful. I'm not at home. You know, I'm on the road. Like this, and you're alone. You got to figure all this out. Um, so I didn't really have many expectations when I did that. I did that for a couple of years, and then um, I, the only success I had, and this wasn't a success, was a, I mean, it was a success, but I, I missed a, a really the biggest buck I've ever seen at that point. Um, and uh, anyway, so that was my first taste of out of state hunting. Then there were a few years there where I, I wasn't hunting out of state and I wasn't even hunting a ton. I was hunting a couple of weeks in Michigan cause I was working at the time. And this was my first job out of school, yada, yada, yada. And, um, so, but then fast forward to maybe, I don't know, five years ago when this whole attitude thing started, we started to kind of venture out of state again. Um, I revisited those areas in Ohio and, I was actually just talking to the guys about this in Nebraska. Like when we do these trips out of state in a new area or any new area, even in state, right? Maybe it's a new piece of, of property that you're trying to learn. And, um, you know, I was telling them like, look, cause we got some new guys in the group now that were with us. And I'm like, look, this, I have a feeling this is going to be extremely difficult. <laughs> okay. And but when we do these things, it's a three to five year process. And I, everything that we do, at least I do, I have that mindset. I never expect on the first time I go somewhere to have any kind of success. In fact, I expect massive failure. Um, just because you can't drop into a new area and expect to just go, just have everything go perfect. And um, so back to your comment about Wisconsin, right? Like, I'm in the middle of that three to five year process. So to me, I don't mind not shooting one of those bucks because I know that I'm going to be back. And uh, for me, honestly, like the pressure is not that significant out there. Like there's a good chance that one of those deer actually make it. So, um, so yeah, I mean, that's my mindset now. Everything is a three to five year process and that's how we scout and that's how we hunt with that three to five year timeline in mind. So I think that about Wisconsin, but I think about it differently. Like, I think I could go there and kill a deer. Like I thought I could go there and kill a deer last year. 
And I mean, I could have killed the smallest eight point I've ever seen in my life, but I sat five sits and saw bucks on four sits. So, I mean, yeah, with, with literally just wandering around and being like, okay, this is like, I felt, you know, when you were telling that story about the, um, like going and being on your own and, and learning and all that stuff, it's like, you know, you and Jake were hunting you're, you had spots like set aside and I'm like, well, yeah. I'm going to go over here and, you know, see, yeah. see what, what, what the, the woods had to offer. And I, I felt like I learned a lot cause I was, I knew that I was on such a short time frame that it wasn't worth it just to sit somewhere. So I walked and walked and walked and walked. And I mean, I feel like I learned a ton because I was just by myself, you know, and I wasn't really you know, I wasn't necessarily tied to you guys except for like place to stay and like meals or whatever. So it was just like, yeah, well, uh, I'm here. So <laughs> what what else am I going to do? Right. Well, I mean, yeah. And that's, that's your attitude and personality as a hunter. Right. And I'm the same way. Right. Like if you, if somebody told me that they have this spot and you're going to see a deer here on November 2nd, that, nine in the at 9 a.m you're gonna see a deer and you're gonna get an opportunity like i that just doesn't get my heart pumping you know because like i i i really enjoy that three to five year process and the other thing is is for me personally i'm trying to build these i'm trying to build consistency right like you can only hunt so much throughout a year especially as you you get older and you got a job and you got a family and you got to be as efficient as possible. So for me, I'm desperately searching for places that I can drop into and kill in one to two days. And so that's, that's just kind of my mindset with this three to five year process, right? Like this isn't, this is a spot that I know that I can drop into and have an opportunity within a day or two. And and that's my goal with all these, these areas. And you got to cover ground just like you were doing in Wisconsin. The only way to do that is if you really, cover a lot of ground and spend time in those areas figuring them out so and that was you know one of the weird things is like the days that we were in wisconsin were like some of the best days of the year um for hunting and you know most guys would be like well i gotta be hunting and i'm like there's i'm not just gonna sit in a tree that i have no idea you know, so I'm just, I was the guy out there wandering around during all morning, you know, until I got to something that looked good. And, you know, if I saw other trucks or other things, I didn't go in and bump people around, but, you know, there was the one morning I, I was trying to, I was trying to cross that stupid ditch. I looked like a ditch on the, where I was at the night before and it was a freaking river and yeah. I wasn't going full buck naked going across it because I knew that I'd have to get back and I didn't know what was over there. So I found a way around it, but I'm trying to find a way across. And then I saw a guy up in a climber a couple hundred yards away. So I just turned around and went the other way. I mean, he didn't really seem to notice me, but I mean, I, I got to find a spot to hunt too, man. So, Yeah. yeah. Well, that right there is like a perfect example of that three to five year process, right? Like year one, you, you had the spot on the map. You thought it was a ditch, but it's a river. <laughs> you got so like so. So next year, you're probably going to have a some way to get across that river. And then, it, so those are the little things that happen over 
years. It's not, you're not going to do it. And at least in my opinion, it takes multiple years to, to be, to get consistent setups in, in places you're not familiar with. So, and, and, you know, you say that, and then, you know, we'll go into this year's hunt where it's year one in Nebraska and, you know, you end up having success. So like, let's talk about like, why did you choose Nebraska? Like what's your experience hunting <laughs> super hot weather and, you know, talk about like the terrain out there and, and all that stuff. But like, how did you choose Nebraska and like the area that you went to? Yeah. Um, well, we chose Nebraska just because we were chomping at the bit to get in a tree. Right. And they opened the earliest out of anybody. Um, so that was a simple decision. It's the only place we could have went. Um, the terrain out there is way out of my comfort zone. It is so much ag and farm country that, I mean, it's just ag as far as the eye can see beans and corn everywhere. Um, and the, as far like the area of the state that we were in was a big area. I mean, we were covering, we were within a two hour radius of this, this one area. And I'm not really even sure how we decided on that area other than like I started looking at the map and I just started marking spot. I just started looking at spots and I started marking them. And then wherever my highest density of marks was, I'm like, well, let's check out this area. And, you know, so there wasn't much thought into where we were going or why we were going there other than, you know, it opened early. And, um, there were some spots that looked decent on the map, but we had no idea what they looked like, just like your ditch in Wisconsin. And, and they were very different when we got there. So, so, um, you say that, but it must've been decent, right? Because you had another saddle company roll in to the exact same yeah. place, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. So that's funny because we, um, I, I don't have an explanation for that. Otherwise, other, other than like we were supposed to stay at this other campground and the other campground didn't end up having electricity or uh, water. And um, we just, we weren't set up to deal with a primitive camp for this trip. And we needed electricity because we were, we were part of the reason we went out there, right. Is because our content is so weak. And so we went out there to try and uh, get some stuff on camera and, um, so we ended up moving to this other campground and turns out, you know, you got, you know, the other crew is there in this tiny little campground. I mean, there's probably 10 sites there. And um, so that was funny. And I'm like, well, this must be a good area then if, you know, if they're here. So, you know, so uh, yeah, that was, that was funny. So when you talk about like looking at the map and saying, okay, I picked out these spots, I picked out these spots, um, you know, you went out there with your whole company the whole team everybody uh, and then your your content team and all of that like were you the one that was running point on finding the areas or i mean how was how how did everybody else fare into this did you have multiple tags were you the only shooter like what what was the logistics of it um so i did choose the general area but that's about it and um so I basically said, this is where we're going to camp. And, um, and then everybody kind of 
did their own thing from there. Um, everybody had a tag in camp except uh, Derek, who was our camera guy. Um, so we had, let's see, two, four, five. We had six shooters in camp. And so six people with tags. Um, so, but yeah, other, you know, other than picking camp, I didn't have anything to do where these guys were going. I mean, obviously we talked about all that stuff, but at the same time, man, we were running so hard. Like we, we weren't even in camp, you know, like you picture deer camp where you're sitting around hanging out at a campfire, at least for a little bit that did not happen. I mean, we were running nonstop. You know, we got to camp, we went to bed because you get back at 10 o'clock when it's this early and uh, sun rises early. So if you're hunting the mornings, not everybody hunted the mornings, but I was I was hunting the mornings. Um, So it was, you know, it was a lot of running. I mean, we weren't even talking about spots that much. And so everybody was kind of doing their own thing and kind of in pairs of two. So. Okay. And so I guess take us through the hunt then, like the progression of like day one did you get out there and just go right after it or did you go and poke around do some glass and like did you get out there before the season started like what was your game plan and then how did that change yeah so i've made the mistake a million times of going somewhere and just immediately starting to hunt and so this for this trip i specifically said i'm not doing that i'm going to go out i want to go out with three full scouting days before the season even starts so we went out on Sunday, which was the uh, 28th, and we we drove, we got there and uh, drove around the area in glass. We probably covered five properties just in that one evening that we got there. And we saw enough from the car to know yay or nay on these properties. So that was, that was really efficient, honestly. That's the first time we've really done something like that because we're usually not in areas where you can see like you can see here. Um, we didn't see, well, we saw one fawn that evening, no other deer, none. And, um, so we, we grabbed a little hotel and cause we're, it was myself and, uh, our buddy, Andrew, who was out there. It was just us at that point. And, um, so, uh, day two, Andrew and I covered nine other properties on foot and, um, I mean, it was exhausting. I mean, we, I've never covered that much ground in my life. I mean, um, but we're, we are crossing places off the list like crazy. So it it was a comforting, it was comforting to do that. We weren't seeing what we wanted to see, but I was still getting rid of pins on my Onyx. So, um, so we're making progress. Right. And it's funny because on the way from our last spot to camp, we were driving by this, this piece of public. And I didn't even, weren't looking at the map or anything. This was not a spot I had marked. In fact, it looked terrible on the map. It looked like nothing. And um, I saw a public land sign. And next to this public piece was this crop that I've never seen in my life. I'm like, what the hell is that? It's the weirdest looking crop. I looked it up and, crop was actually called sorghum or milo which is something out west i'm like you know what andrew i think i know i was at this point he's looking at me like dude we gotta go this is too much it's 97 degrees by the way and so i'm like dude we gotta walk the edge of that we don't 
I've never seen that before. Maybe it's a deer's, maybe it's deer crack, you know? And so we walked the edge of it and the sign was lackluster. I mean, there wasn't much there. There's some tracks. The ground is so dry out there this time of year that you can't even really see tracks. You just see these like dry holes in the ground, which again, we didn't know that at the time. Um, but we walked the edge of this property and we hung a camera on some beans at the back of the property and left. And um, that uh, we went back to camp, fast forward to the next day, we scouted another area. And that evening we got a picture. In fact, I sent you the picture of the, of the time. It was just a time. And um, I'm like, Oh, well, all right. That's, that's a start. Right. I mean, like the whole key in this scenario was to get our eyes on something, whether it's on a camera or glassing or whatever. And so we, we let that sit there and the wind shifted us on us. This is day two of scouting. The wind shifted to a south and uh, camera went dead. We left it there. We didn't touch that property again and um, scouted a few more properties the next day. So that's three full days of scouting. We covered um, probably close to 20 total properties in those three days thoroughly. And um and so at the end of that third day, we had a spot that we felt pretty confident in. It wasn't the spot we had the, the deer on camera because we still had a south wind at this point. And it was going to be south for the next few days. And um, so we had this spot. We found some just gorgeous oaks, just bur oaks that were, I mean, they were so loaded with acorns and they were just just starting to drop. I mean, we thought we were in the money, right? Like, I mean, it, it just seemed perfect. And, um, so opening morning, we went in blind to these spots and, you know, bumbled our way in as you do, if you go in blind and got set up and kicked a couple deer on the way in, of course, and saw nothing. And, um, so that was a little disheartening because it was a beautiful morning and, um, came back out and, um, we hunted that evening and, uh, that evening we ended up seeing uh, just a, a fawn, I think. Yeah. That, cause that was the evening I was self, I was self filming myself that night and it was a total disaster. I lost my release <laughs> on the way out. So like, here we go. The problems start to roll in. And, um, so that's day one. We are a little defeated after day one, my release is gone. So I don't know if I can even hit the side of a barn at this point. And, uh, so that's day one, day two, we get up, and uh, we go hunt this, we found this this creek bottom that had a little, it was so dry out there, right? That the creeks are actually dried up. And so you find these creeks that are, that have a tiny little stretch of water left. And in that little stretch, it's just hammered with deer sign. Again, it's still not 97, 98 degrees. I mean, it is so hot. And, um, so we hunted that that morning, we kicked a deer off the oaks and then we saw like six or seven does that morning, hitting the oaks coming off the beans. So we got a little morale boost. And, um, and so that was great. And then we, uh, that, that, uh, after that morning hunt, there was this little swampy area. I'm like happy. I'm like, I feel at home. I found a little swamp with some cattails. I'm like, this feels a little home, like home. And but you know what? I'm going to just, I got that new traditional bow I told you about that I was trying to learn and I've been shooting it a lot. And, um, 
and it's a lot of fun to shoot. I'm like, you know what, guys, I'm just going to just relax here. I'm going to take a walk through there and like, see if I can still hunt through there and see if I bump anything out of there. And literally the first thicket, like thick, almost like in Michigan, you have the red brush that's like eight feet tall or whatever. and super thick. It's similar to that. And first little bunch of it, I walk up to, there's a six point in there rubbing off his velvet and he's just got velvet hanging down on his shoulders and he's all bloody and he has no idea I'm there. And I'm with my brand new traditional bow. So I'm like, oh, well, this is unfortunate, but uh, I'm definitely shooting this thing. <laughs> and uh, so he's rubbing and like, he has no idea. And I'm 15 yards away from him and he kind of, he's in this thick stuff, so I can't shoot. And he ends up coming out of it and kind of quartering away, moving to another little thicket. And um, I have my, my phone in my bow hand like trying to film the shot because I didn't bring Derek out there with me. And um, and I ended up taking the shot and my phone was a little bit, I probably would have missed him anyway, but the, the phone was a little high. My arrow just ding off my phone and like shanked high above him. So I'm like, well, well all right, we let, we let an arrow fly. We, you know, we saw a buck. I'm, I'm high spirits at this point. Like that was a little rejuvenation at that point. Um, because it was only the second day of hunting, but we scouted so hard that it felt like we had been busting our butts for a week. And um, so then that evening, we had a really good hunt. We went back to this area that we were in the, that morning, but a different section of it. It was actually this open CRP field that butted up to corn that butted up to uh, an adjacent uh, bean field. And there was a low spot in the CRP field. And a couple of days before we bumped a little buck out of that corner, you know, he's bedded textbook in that little low spot. And so I told Derek, I'm like, look, I want to get in there and see if we can do an observation sit watching that low spot field. So we snuck in there and uh, the trees are terrible out there, by the way, like there's such a pain to get into. <laughs> so we finally find a tree that we can get into and we get, set up and we immediately start seeing deer we got does uh and then we got a small buck that gets up out of that corner and starts moving to the beans and then um then we had a nice like you know three and a half year old deer i definitely would have shot if we were in there get up move along the downward edge of that corn move into the beans so we saw a little trend there right like these deer were in the corn or near the corn and they were moving down the downwind edge of that corn we saw this several times after this point um so great hunt we leave spirits are high um moving on to the next day so this is day three of hunting september 3rd we the wind shifts back to a north and um that morning we decided to go and try to get in on that corner in the morning and beat something coming back to bed there. And we did that. And it was, a we got up, we left it, we left the, uh, the camp at two in the morning. That's how early we, cause like the sun rises so early there and we're an hour and a half from where we were hunting. So we left it two and we got in there. It was just, the trees are so nasty. It's so hard to go in blind in the morning. And um, we got set up. We didn't see a deer. Kicked a bunch walking in, of course. It were already bedded down at three in the morning. And um, 
So whatever, that was okay. But since that wind shifted to a north, that evening we knew that we were going to go back and and go after that buck that was on camera that first day because the wind shifted back. And um, so we go back to camp, get all, grab some lunch, get packed up and get going. I have to stop on the way to shoot my bow, of course, because my release is gone and I, I haven't shot my bow at this point. And um, so I shot the bow and it's not going very well. I, do, I mean, I mean, I'm, I was missing the target at 25 yards. And um, were you using somebody so else's finally, release or trying to shoot fingers or what were you doing? My, my back, I had a backup release, but it totally changed my, it totally changed my draw length. And I was just, the trigger pull on it was totally different. I had the one I lost was one of those. Uh, I can't even remember the name of it, but it's one of the nice ones, right. That has like a really soft trigger pull and like you barely touch it and it goes off. And the other one I have is one of those uh, true ball, it's a thumb release, but it's almost like a regular release, right? And so I'm struggling with it. I'm messing with my sight. I had to change my sight a bunch. Finally got it to where I'm shooting, shooting terrible, like <laughs> to be honest. I mean, I'm like uncomfortable going in the woods, but it had to be done, right? I mean, I can't go get another release where we were. Um, so we go in that evening, we get set up in this just gnarly tree. I mean, we're like, I'm like, eight feet off the ground, standing on a branch. I'm not even hanging in my saddle. I'm hooked up, but I'm standing on this branch and it's very thick. And I actually had to take some of my, my stick straps and tie down a branch so that I had this little window that I could shoot through. And, um, you know, it starts getting late and the cicadas out there, like the most intense, thing i've ever heard like to the point where they give you like a migraine they're so loud but those things start going off right when prime time starts and um so those things started going off and we immediately had a couple does moving out of the that sorghum that we found and they were moving out of there they came down the edge and jumped the fence looked out at the beans for probably five minutes and then moved on down to a water hole that was at the bottom of this ditch. And which is what we were kind of expecting them to do. That's what we were hoping that the deer would do. So we had those does do that. And then Derek, he's like, you know, five, six feet above me. So he can see a totally different picture than I can see, which is a learning experience with this filming thing. And so all of a sudden he goes, Hey, big buck, big buck. I'm like, okay where because <laughs> i can't see anything he's like he's right over there so i'm looking and i didn't know how close he was so i didn't want to say anything so i'm looking at his camera lens to see like where he's looking and it's down that that same fence row that's in between the sorghum and the public and so we're looking down there and i can't see him and it just i mean it seemed like 10 minutes went by right and i still can't see him he's still filming all this and all of a sudden, and I have my bow, I'm ready to go because I know ex I only have one little window. And, um, you know, eventually I see these these antlers, right, jump the fence. And all of a sudden this deer is right at 30 yards right in front of me, like perfect, right, in my, moving right in my window. And so I, I draw, and as I'm drawing, he just, he starts to move. These deer, it was interesting because when they get in open areas out there, they like run. 
they're, they're running, they're looking and then they decide to go. And when they do that, they go. And so this deer, he just started moving through this open area that I was hoping to shoot into. And I just drew and drew and shot and, and I missed, I mean, but you know, it was just terrible execution. I think I should have tried to stop him, but I had a little case of buck fever. I mean, it was a first velvet deer I've ever seen in person. For me, it was a big buck. I mean, it was, you know, probably 135 inch deer, but for me, that's a big buck and it's in velvet, just a gorgeous deer. And, um, it just happened so fast. I didn't even think to stop him. And so I just drew and shoot and missed. And, um, so that was an eventful evening. You know, the hunts are starting to get more productive at this point. And so honestly, I feel pretty good. It was funny because Derek, I think Derek was more upset than I, that I missed than I was. And, um, I just looked at him. He's like, after the hunting was like, man, I didn't, I didn't know what to say after you missed. Like, cause this is the first time we've hunted together. And he's like, I didn't know if like you were going to be really, I know some guys get super mad and he's like, man, you were smiling and all this stuff out there after you missed. I, I was like, what the hell's going on with this guy? And I'm like, man, we had an opportunity. That's a win for me. And, um, so that, that was the third evening, big success in my mind. I just wanted to see a big buck in, in person out there. Um, and then the next day we skipped the morning hunt. He said at this, we're getting, we're, we're running on fumes at this point. I mean, so we're like, look, we let's get some rest. It's going to be a, uh, we had a straight East wind this next day. So in my head, I was a little unsure about what should be done. Um, cause we just, we didn't have that yet. And I just didn't know what was going to happen, but um, we ended up deciding sometime after lunch, I'm like, I think we need to go back in there to that same spot. And, um, there were the spot we hunted the night before there were actually three parallel ditches on this property. And so there was another one to the North that we couldn't see glassing. We'd never walked down there. It was the lowest point in this property and there was just this perfect pinch coming out of the sorghum to another pond and i hadn't seen the pond i didn't know if there was water in it or anything but i i, I thought in my head like if there is water in that this sets up the exact same way if we can get in there we might have an opportunity and so we decided to go in there this upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Decova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. 
Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com On on that fourth night, and that's where we eventually killed that deer. Um, Again, shooting my bow before we walked in. I missed missed the target at 20 yards before, before we walked in there. And I was just flustered. I'm like, I'm like, oh man, Derek, I'm going to, you know, cause once you, once you lose confidence in your shooting, it's kind of a slippery slope. Right. And, um, so then of course that deer screams down to that low point. He was bedded up in the wall, up, up on the edge of the pond, screamed down to that low point that we were set up at right at the pinch. And, um, he gave me a 50 yard shot and I just, I just let it fly and prayed. So. Um, it was fun. We didn't see another deer that night though. That was it. That one buck end of the night, last light cicadas started screaming and the buck ran down to, down to that corner. And that, that was the end. And so you shoot this deer in your, your, I mean, I feel like most guys in that scenario are going to be like, super nervous like you feel like well a you got a cameraman with you you guys drove all the way out there you put in all this work and you already missed once so like i know like i've talked about it on podcasts before i talked about it with zach from the hunting public you know because i feel like he those guys get a lot of opportunities you know and they just are shooting deer shooting deer and you know for most guys in a normal hunting scenario and i don't want to say like just the weekend warriors but you kind of like when you what you outlined you know you only have so much time to hunt and if you miss a deer you hit one bad like right out of the gate like i feel like that's like cemented into your your brain and instead of like drawing back and saying like that deer's dead like that that's a dead deer you're like don't miss or like don't fuck it up you know like and and i feel like you know if you've made those shots or you've been in those situations like you know exactly what i'm talking about like where the negativity gets to to creep in and i think that maybe that's what derek was was talking about so like walk me through this like you know 50 yard shot and then like how was the hit did you see him go down like how did it all how did you uh overcome that i guess yeah i mean well that's one of the that's one of the main things i've learned as a bow hunter and probably the most important thing i've learned is that you have to have a short memory just like with anything it's just like you know a quarterback there was an interception or whatever it may be like you just got to smile and move on because you're gonna mistakes are impossible to avoid you that's that's the whole game that's that's hunting is is how do you how do you frame mistakes in your brain and and so like as an example now i was nervous about just shooting in general just because i just didn't have a lot of time shooting my bow and that's my fault i just didn't take the time to do it before this trip and then losing my release adds to that but 
you know, you got to ignore, right? Like that is the, that's the situation I'm in and there's nothing I can do about it at this point. I just need to do everything that I have control over to the best of my ability. And, um, like the night before, right. I screwed that up and I, I didn't stop that deer. And so I actually, the deer I stopped or I shot, I stopped him twice. (laughs) I stopped him to range him. And then I stopped him again to shoot him. And the point being is, is like, you just gotta, you know, when you make the mistake, I think at least this is how I think about it. At least like, I know the mistake I made the night before, but luckily that mistake can be fixed very easily. And, and so, um, that's all that was really going through my head. Stop the deer. That's all I was thinking about. I, I had the range on him. I felt good. I had the range on him. I got him to stop. And so at that point, it's just make the best shot you can. Um, it, I, I know that all that's easier said than done. And the only way that you get to that point is after you've made so many mistakes like I have. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, in the last, let's see, last year I made a bad shot on a deer and didn't recover him. The year before that, I, um, I missed a deer. And when I shot that Ohio deer, I missed a deer that morning before I shot that Ohio deer. I mean, it just, it happens and you just got to smile and move on. Cause what are you going to do? I mean, it's like, I think optimism is just a quality a bow hunter has to have. It's important. So then, okay. So you've, you've done all this, you, you know, now you shoot this deer. Did you guys see him go down or like, what was the track job like? No, but I, I mean, we knew it was a, a good shot. I mean, cause it's on camera, right? So like we almost immediately, I felt good about the, I knew I hit him hard and he kicked perfect. It, it was like one of those, <laughs> it looked like one of those hunting TV shows on outdoor channel, right? Where they kick, which I've never had that happen to me. <laughs> so, and, and so I'm like, yeah, I think that was, I think that was a great shot. I mean, and we watched it on camera and so we knew that it was a good shot. I mean, he was dead. 50 yards we didn't see him go down but you know we found the arrow we we knew we knew it was a good shot so here's one of the things that i always like i don't know i i feel like i'm never ready for and i don't know if that's like my like lack of confidence lack of planning like whatever but like you know, you're, you were talking about like nearly hundred degree temperatures. You got this deer, you can't take bones across state lines. You got a velvet deer that has to have special care taken with it. And you got to be, you know, normally you just grab them by the antlers and drag them out and not, you know, you're not trying to mess up the velvet and all that. There's all these other things that go into play. So talk, talk through that process of like, you know, you recover the deer, like now what? Oh, oh my gosh. Yeah. This was, a, this was an ordeal. Um, luckily we had like a team of people out there, but it was, I mean, this deer had the biggest body I've ever seen in my life. So we had a, a, a deer cart that we brought out there. We're like, it's farm country, deer cart. Perfect. We'll be in and out of there. No problem. Well, we're walking in and the deer cart, uh, the pin on the deer cart wiggles out of the wheel and pops out it's just lost in, in this had that happened in the hills of ohio i did the exact same thing yeah yeah those those deer care they just i've said this for a long i've broken so many of those things like they just can't handle it and 
so anyway, so Jake, of course, uh, you know, this is a job for Jake, <laughs> Jake, how are we going to fix this? So you go, we get back to the, we go back to the truck and we get like this wire, this random wire he has. And he's like wrapping this wheel up and even the main frame of the, uh, of the cart, we lost a pin out of there too on the way in. So it's like, we're two pins down. We get to the deer and the deer ends up being this, like, I mean, it's just such a heavy deer. It took three of us on the cart to, to wheel them out of there. And, um, so, but you know, we're wheeling them out. The wire is breaking, just snapping right every once in a while. And the velvet on these deer. And I never knew that I've never touched. I've never even gotten close to a velvet deer. The velvet, at least on this one, because he was almost, he was hard horned under the velvet. So he was about to rub that off, but it's like slippery. So if you touch it, it'll just like slide on the antler and just slide off. And so we had to have a guy like, you know, like on antler duty, like watching the velvet. And um, so the whole thing was the velvet really complicates things. And then um, we got him out of there and we put him in i had one of those jet sleds we put him in there and put him in the back of the truck and got him back and just put him in an ice bath there are no gas stations we're just a little um bit of advice okay like the other the other company that was there had a big uh, chest cooler on the back of the bus and a little word to the wise is make sure you have ice at all times because there were no gas stations open we finally found one that was open, but didn't have ice. So I had to beg the, the person working to scoop me bags of ice out of the pop machine that was in the gas station. And we, you know, put the deer in the ice bath for the night. And of course, Corey and Derek, and then wanted to take a bunch of pictures in the morning. So we did all that. Um, and then we're on to the next phase where it's like, okay, now what do we do? Like we got this deer, what are we going to do? It's getting hot. And so we call, I call 20 different taxidermists in the area. Cause I need somebody to, they, you know, you got to scrape the skull plate out and get that all dealt with. And finally found a really nice guy. And uh, thankfully he helped us out. He did all the, he caped it out and got the skull plate cleaned out for us. And then Jake and Andrew, uh, and the rest of us, we kind of all quartered out the deer, put in game bags, and then packed it into coolers. There was a, a factory that makes fertilizer where we were. And um, a byproduct of their process happens to be dry ice. So we actually were able to go to that factory and get unlimited amounts of dry ice. Dry ice, by the way, I never thought about using dry ice, but it is the best thing for this scenario uh it just it it's incredible i mean it'll burn the hell out of your hands but it's incredible so at that point we were kind of good to go and so after you like so when you take it to the taxidermist like and and i've we've got a taxidermist buddy and like i've tried to get him on the podcast but he's like one of these guys who likes to talk when he drinks but he's like oh, i don't know if i want to get on the podcast <laughs> yeah. and talk about it but <laughs> yeah. you know for these youth hunters and for the early season like, what did you, what do you have, what did the, that taxidermist do or what did he tell you to like to preserve the velvet? Because 
I think sometimes they inject it with some stuff. Sometimes they like hard freeze it. Like what, what did you have to do, you know, to get it home and get that, like to make sure nothing happened to it? Yeah. So they make this stuff that I will probably, if I do this again, I'll carry it with me, which it wouldn't have actually helped us on this deer because the deer was hard horned. So we wouldn't have been able to inject this stuff. It's called Velvalock. And actually the Velvalock is actually a spray. So that would have helped us. And then there's another injection that you can use too. If the deer isn't hard horned, you can inject in there and it just, it goes up in the antlers. The way I understand it is those antlers are actually soft under the velvet up into a certain point, soft to the point where you can, stick a knife through the antler so if they're soft like that then you can inject it with this stuff and it'll preserve the antlers um, but if they're hard horn then you got to use the spray or in my situation we didn't have that so my taxidermist uh, here told me to just freeze it as fast as possible and that's where the dry ice came in uh, i mean the dry ice is you should probably always find a source of dry ice. I mean, that saved us. It really did. Cause you don't, you can't, you don't want the hide to get wet and you don't want the, the velvet to get wet. So if you have regular ice in 97 degrees, you're just going to be dealing with a cold pool of water all the time, which won't work. Um, so yeah, I don't, I obviously don't have a good system for the velvet stuff, but, um, you know, I guess if I were to do it again, you know, now we have a few people in different areas like Wisconsin and um, Ohio, right? Like we have a couple guys that we've met along the way that we know that we can call if we run into this situation. And that's probably an important part of planning is like figure out who you're going to take the deer to if you're, if you make it happen. So. Yeah. Like I say, that's, that's one thing, like I said, where I don't have like a good plan for that. I'm always like, ah, well, we'll figure it out. You know, that's, yeah. that's after killing the deer is the hard part. There's gotta be somebody to take care of it. You know, I mean, right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're the same way. And, and it's, you know, I was not expecting to shoot something significant on this trip. And, um, you know, we were even buying coolers at Walmart, right because we just didn't have enough cooler space. And so that part of it, like we're very new to this whole out of state stuff. And so that is something we're working on getting better at. And I think this trip taught us a lot about that. I mean, I, there's several things I would change about that part of it after this trip. And, um, but one of those things you just, <laughs> it's impossible to plan for that until you go through it, you know? So Right now, uh, the rest of the guys, how did their hunts go? Um, they, you know, they, they busted their butts out there and, um, it's just, it was just a, it was a very challenging week. Like it just, it was hot. There's corn everywhere. Um, you know, there, there's a, I think it's dub season out there that was going on. Um, there weren't too many other whitetail guys, but there were a couple that, uh, we ran into. Um, so, you know, they, they saw some, some does and some, you know, kicked some smaller bucks and stuff like that. Um, but overall for everybody, it was a very difficult, challenging week, but, um, it was, it was cool to see like morale in camp 
right? Because there's a lot of people that would have went through that week and had just a terrible time. And um, lucky for us, the, the group was very um, motivated and, and dealing with, you know, dealing with the suck. I mean, it, it was a brutal week. I mean, half of the group was covered in chiggers and ticks the entire time. I think everybody got bit by a tick at one point. Um, Jake, I mean, Jake was covered in bugs the entire time, getting bit all, all over the place. I mean, like that guy is a bug magnet. And um, so it was just, it was a challenging week, and, but it was a lot of fun and we learned a lot for sure. I mean, I, I'll be back there. I mean, I, I feel confident after that week because we hunted so hard that we could go back and have a much more, I don't want to say leisure trip, but there are some things I would change and do differently. And I think it could be a lot more pleasant trip than it was. Cause this was very, <laughs> this was a tough week. So, so one of the things that I'm glad that you brought that up and like you said that things that you would do differently and, and whatever, because the last time I had you on when we were in Wisconsin and when we were in Wisconsin, one of the big things that you had said was like, we have to do this differently. Like we're just eating garbage and, gas station food and we need like good high quality food so like did you change yeah. that on this trip did you plan better for the food no. <laughs> no of course not but i stand by that like and it's never been more obvious to me than after this past week that taking care of yourself like people overlook that right like i'm gonna go hard for seven to ten days and I'm going to hunt, hunt, hunt. You always think about the hunting, but you don't think about taking care of yourself. And you got to do that. I mean, it was 97 degrees, right? So like we couldn't, we couldn't take a nap during the day. It's impossible. You'd sit in there and sweat. Andrew took a nap in the tent one day and I go and I look in his tent to wake him up for the afternoon. And he's in there like he's in a, like a, a, a sweat box. I mean, he looks like he's about to keel over and die. I'm like, dude, you can't be in there right now. And so like at one point I, uh, I had two free hotel rooms from my previous job. I ended up booking a hotel for two days so that we could go rest and like take a nap. Cause I got like these two guys with me and they're running just as hard as I am. And it, you gotta be able to take care of yourself. And you know, it would like the food every night you get down at 10 o'clock. The only place that's open, if you even make it there is like McDonald's or Arby's. Arby's was probably the healthiest thing we could find. And, um, it's just, I, I, I it's funny you bring that up about Wisconsin. Yeah, no, I missed that, but you know, I stand by that. We gotta, we'll try that on the next trip to be more prepared. So what's next for you guys? Like what, what's uh, next on the itinerary for the latitude guys for the rest of the hunt season? Um, we, we have some fun stuff planned. We we're going to, um, we're doing a Northern Michigan hunt. Uh, let's see, October, October 6th, I believe, um, for about five days. That'll be, um, that'll be a fun one. That's going to be, that's going to be a, a tough one too. Um, it's just in a low, low deer density area. And, um, Again, we've never been there, so it's going to be just a scramble. And everybody knows October 6th, that time frame is not easy by any means. So, but that'll be fun. I mean, we get to explore a new area. And um, 
and then we'll go to uh you know ohio wisconsin as we get into october and november um and then hunting michigan of course so who knows where else we end up i don't know maybe we'll get lucky and tag out in ohio early or something like that but it's unlikely (laughs) but we'll see well, all right. So with this content and stuff, where can people find that? When can they expect you guys to start rolling out, uh, you know, stuff from this hunt and, uh, and going forward? Yeah. So we, we are, we are filming this season. I think that, um, and I'm not the right guy to ask about this because, uh, Corey and Derek are the ones driving this, um, and they're doing a great job. So there will be some cool stuff coming. Um, but I think it'll probably be next year. Um, so they're going to produce a, a series based on this season and, and release it on YouTube, Carbon TV, and who knows what else they have in store. Um, but we'll, I, I think they're going to do some, I think they're going to pull some content from this past week and through the season and, and release it a little bit. We'll probably do a hunt recap on YouTube just to show what we learned throughout the week. Cause it was a very learning heavy week. There's some interesting things we ran into. Um, so that'll all be on YouTube and, um, probably some stuff on Instagram and Facebook as well. So all the usual channels. <laughs> awesome. So if people got questions or they want to, you know, pick your brain about anything, how, what's the best way to get a hold of you? Um, yeah, I mean, I guess I should start looking at the Instagram the, the Instagram messages get bogged down so fast, but I guess you could message on there or even actually Facebook messenger might be the way to go. Um, so if you, if there's any questions on, on the hunting side of things, Facebook messenger, either to latitude or you can message me personally too. And I'd be happy to share some of the mistakes we made out there so that you don't make the same ones. Cause <laughs> there were some big ones, but yeah, reach out anytime, uh, probably Facebook messenger would be the easiest awesome man well thanks for coming on here and, and kind of going through it uh like i said it was great to you know when we were in ohio you were talking about you know you guys were kind of going through the process and trying to figure it out and to have it end up the way that it did um super cool and like for me it's super cool to see from you know like the planning of like wow we're going to nebraska somewhere sometime <laughs> you know so yeah yeah i mean yeah thanks a lot for having me on to talk about this because i i really enjoy talking about the hunting stuff and um talking about all the gear gets a, a little old for me and um you know hunting is the end goal so i that's what i love to talk about and uh good luck to everybody this season i hope everybody uh does well out there so awesome thanks alex all right thanks guys Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors, every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.
once in a while it's fun to go with like just full-blown redneck on these fish. This is like high-tech cane pole fishing right here. From the white sandy beaches to the crystal blue waters, enjoy the best fishing Panama City Beach has to offer during Chase in the Sun, Sundays at 9.30 a.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.